This is our um, fifth special Christmas meeting. And um, to be honest, I love the message of Christmas so much, I wouldn't mind if we sang Christmas songs all through the year. Um, It's not so much the the manic getting everything ready and making sure you've got presents for everyone, making sure you haven't wasted money and bought them things they don't want, Um, but I just love the Christmas message and the whole miracle of the message of Christmas. And the word that I want us to think about today in that Christmas message is the incarnation. Um, and it's not a kind of milk, and um, we, we, we often um, hear these words and we kind of throw them around and we don't really think about the amazing thing that they actually mean. So in our previous services, we've sung about and watched and listen to, a bit like we watched some of the uh, pictures just there as we had the break, things that happened around the birth of Jesus. Um, And if we read uh, Luke and Matthew and Mark's Gospels, which we've looked a lot at those kind of passages, we've looked at how Mary and Joseph um, had to do everything they had to do with the shepherds, the angels, the wise men, how they came to Bethlehem, how they had to negotiate the dangers of the evil King Herod. Um, But one of the bits of scripture that we haven't actually thought much about this year here is a very short passage from John's Gospel. And we're going to have a look at this passage today. John's Gospel is actually quite different to the other three. So there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke tend to have a very similar way of writing, which um, they they have their different perspectives as well. So each of the Gospels is a bit like reading a different newspaper. You read about the same things, but uh, from a different perspective. And John's Gospel starts in a very different way to the other three. He begins his gospel with Jesus coming into the world, but rather than tell us about the events that happened, he dives straight in um, to a prologue, which was probably at the time a hymn, um, and it's all about who Jesus is and what he's like. And the passage that we're going to look at ends with this bit, so we're going to look at this bit first. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So as well as that word incarnation today, I want us to think about the question, what does glory mean? Some of the meanings that might spring to mind the kind of glory that an athlete gets or a sports person gets if they're brilliant at what they do. Um, And it's all about their fame and their recognition. And that's similar as well to the kind of glory that a famous celebrity might get as they walk down the red carpet at an award ceremony. And then perhaps all of us think about that word glory when we think about the kind of Um, scenes we've seen where the angels sing glory to God in the highest and the story of the shepherds where glory shone all around and that kind of glory of God which makes us fall to our knees and worship him. 
So all of these kind of ideas are used for the word glory. But is this what John meant in the verse where he talks about having seen the glory, the glory of his one and only son, Jesus? To a certain extent, I think it did include these meanings. After all, when John was writing his gospel, he was looking back on the whole life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And the end of John's gospel is all about Jesus' last days and then his death. And they are spoken about as the glory chapters. So even Jesus' death is seen as the glory of God. And then the book of Acts tells us that on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus had gone back to be with his Father in heaven, 3,000 people became followers of Jesus. So he did gain, gain a reputation and glory for what he had done. Also, if we think of the extraordinary and supernatural things that happened around his birth with the angels and the stars and the bright lights, there were times when people responded to God in worship as we sang earlier, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. And you see the shepherds responding in the same way of worshipping God because the angels just shone with the glory of God. But actually there is another meaning for glory that John is talking about in this passage. It's about having, the seen, having seen the glory of his one and only son, Jesus. And that, that understanding of glory is the link that there is with the word incarnation. So we're going to think a little bit about that. Do you know, we had a visitor to our church a couple of weeks ago, and she may be here today, I don't know. Um, And this person is seven years old. And she came along because she wants to know more about God. So she said to her parents, I want you to take me to church, and they brought her here. Um, and the children were having a party, so there wasn't much God stuff going on. And on the way to the group, she asked the person in the welcome team this question. Is God a person, or is he a spirit? That's a seven-year-old girl who's, who's visiting us. Think about that for a moment. Um, we had a very interesting discussion about it afterwards. Um, And actually, if you think about it, that is exactly the question that the writer of John's Gospel was trying to answer in this prologue passage that we're looking at this morning. We'll look at it again. We'll look at it in more depth. So let's think about that. How could God be a human person when he'd always been understood as an invisible, powerful spirit, spiritual being? How could Jesus' followers who had watched him live and be killed and come alive again, overcoming death and returning to heaven, think about Jesus? Let's have a look at what John has to say. So from the beginning of this passage, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, 
so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And here we have that last bit. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So here in John's gospel, rather than start by talking about the birth of Jesus, John starts by talking about Jesus pre-existence. So how he had always been alive before he came as a baby. In the beginning was the word. The Greek word here is logos. And logos was an accepted idea at that time in the Greek world, which meant the word of God. But it also had this idea about being the wisdom of God and the power of God. And if you look in the book of Proverbs, where it talks about wisdom, it talks about wisdom as a person. It personifies wisdom. And so this idea that wisdom could be personified was picked up by John, and by linking that idea with Jesus the Christ existing before the world began, John helps people to understand Jesus' relationship to God and how God could become human. So, I don't know if you ever thought about this one, um, but Jesus the man didn't create the world because Jesus is the name given to the human baby that came into the world 2,000 or so years ago. But in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Logos, the Word, the Christ, he created the world with the Father and the Spirit. And herein lies the miracle. The Word becomes flesh, human flesh. The Creator and Lord of all things becomes a vulnerable, dependent part of his creation. That is a miracle. That is impossible. So what does this say about God's view of humanity? We know from the Old Testament that God has to be understood as holy and that although he's loving and compassionate, he's also holy. And he wants to protect us from evil and has to deal with sin. We also know that humans, in some way or another, by their very nature of being mortal, are associated with sin. Flesh itself is referred to at various times, as sinful flesh. And so the very idea of God taking on flesh, to many would have been an absolute anathema, like saying God's going to steal or murder someone. But Almighty God takes on flesh. Vulnerable, mortal, fragile flesh. 
God becomes a human person, and that is incarnation. And all of this is what John means when he talks about the fact that we have seen his glory. It wasn't just when the angels sang or when he was baptized and there was a voice and people saw the Holy Spirit resting on him and heard a voice from heaven. And it wasn't just about at his transfiguration, Jesus' transfiguration, where he shone with the glory of God. But the glory revealed in Jesus was that he showed us absolutely and completely what it looks like to be a human made in the image of God, a person, a human person, filled with and reflecting God's glory. And that was in the normal as well as in the extraordinary. So he had a normal birth, a normal life, a normal live, he lived in a normal village and in a normal family with ordinary people. And he wasn't beamed in, as Steve said last week, or lowered um, as a king from his heavenly throne. No, he was part of the human race. He came as a baby from his mother. He wasn't just a perfect individual either because he came as a light into the darkness and the darkness, the bad stuff around him, affected him. Um, Herod nearly killed him. People misunderstood him and treated him badly. People hated him as well as loved him. But part of his not sinning was knowing how to treat people when they did that to him. He lived as light in a dark world that meant that darkness could be overcome. And John says, those that believe in him have the right to be called the children of God. That includes us as well as the people at the time of Jesus. You see, God's image in humanity becomes perfected in Jesus Christ. From him, we can join a new humanity that understands who God is, because we've seen his glory and we've responded to it so that we can reflect that out into the world. The thing that God gave Jesus to do was not a new command. It was one that he had asked Adam in the Garden of Eden to do and all through the Old Testament he had asked of people that they reflect his glory, that they be his image and that they let that be a blessing to the people around him. So to Adam and Eve, the first human community, it was Adam and Eve together made in the image of God. He commands them to cultivate the Garden of Eden and to keep it. And that word keep means to guard it. So not just to look after it, but to guard it from evil. And obviously we know from the story in Genesis that they didn't do that very well because they listened to the serpent and they let evil in by listening to what the serpent had to say and not believing God. And the consequence of that was that they were banished into the wider world, out of the the beautiful Garden of Eden and that kind of sanctuary that God had put them in. And outside of that Garden of Eden, they weren't allowed then back in Um, because that had to be guarded. So, the story goes on. Um, God says to Noah, when the earth gets flooded, that he's committed to the world, that he loves the world, and that he won't destroy it again. 
And then later, we hear about Abraham, who has to leave everything that he holds dear. And that kind of has resonances of what Jesus had to do. Jesus had to leave the glory of heaven. Um, But he's promised that future um, outcome of how the whole world is going to be blessed through an obedient life. And then Israel were told to be a light to the nations And they were given God's law so that they could reflect his values and character in the way that they lived as a people, as a community. Um, That the way that they lived was supposed to reflect the goodness and the mercy of God in the laws that they had. So God doesn't choose people in a vacuum so that they'll be blessed for their own sake. God chooses people to cultivate something beautiful in a small, cozy place, like a sanctuary. Um, So that that was the temple and the tabernacle all had their kind of inner places where God's holiness was guarded. And for us, it's our hearts. Georgia spoke a few weeks ago about guarding our hearts um, and then going out from that and being able to have good relationships and bless other people. Jesus, as a human, could only influence his part of the world, but today his light has shone to many corners of the earth because all of us are made in the image of God and we are individuals who can be Christ-like, but that doesn't mean he wants us to be clones. He wants us to be our own individual personalities, but to shine with the light of Jesus wherever we're placed. You know, we're all placed around Aylesbury, aren't we? We're all placed around in different places, and each of us can shine with the light of Jesus. That is incarnation as well, because it's God with us, and God in us, and God amongst people. So through his spirit, who's broken out since Jesus' life and death and resurrection, thanks Jess for choosing that song, his glory can now cover the earth as Isaiah says, as the waters cover the sea. And we can be part of that light that shines in the darkness. And it's not about us or our fame, and it's not about our own ministries, but it's for him and for his glory, because he so loves the world that he's made. Do you want to be a part of it? And if so, there are three ways that we can respond to the glory of God today. Let's look at these images The first is to allow ourselves to be impacted by that bright, amazing light that shines with angels and archangels from heaven itself. So the first thing is that we see his glory. The second is that we truly worship him. And like the shepherds and the wise men, we leave where we are and we kind of follow that star that's showing Jesus to us, whatever that might be, whatever it is that God is saying, you know, go that way in order to find Jesus. We need to do that. And um, it might mean that we have to relocate in some way. Or it might just mean that we consciously make room in our hearts and our lives to worship him every day. Um, To take moments of time where we can stop and acknowledge how great he is and let his goodness kind of flood through us um, and have that kind of space where God um, 
really does impact us. Some people have to have a special place. Other people can do it anywhere and in the supermarket can just stop and think about God and, and really embrace that light. Um, so the second one is that we need to worship him. And the third one is that we need to image him and reflect his glory with our lives. So yes, we need to be impacted by that light. We need to worship him as that light. But the third thing is we need to reflect that light into the world, into the places where we are, into our workplaces, into our families, into just the spaces where we are on our own. Um, And the image up here should really be more than one person looking in the mirror because the glory of God, the image of God... Um, does start with an individual. We do have to respond to God as individuals, but it never ends with an individual because the image of God is shown truly through a community of people that know him and love him and each other, guarding themselves against hatred and strife, forgiving one another and embracing the brokenness of the world around. So that third point is that we allow God to form the image of Jesus in us, to change us from one degree of glory to another, and then we need to reflect that glory out and be prepared to bring goodness and light to our families, our streets, our towns, our cities, our nations, our world, our planet, and our universe. (laughs) So, is God a person or a spirit? God isn't limited to anything in this time-space world. He existed as Father, Son, and Spirit in three persons before the world began. But he's chosen to create it, to create this world, to sustain this world, and to step into this world as a human person. We don't know what the Father looks like, but we know that Jesus is the perfect image of his Father and that Jesus sits on a throne in a resurrected body that probably looks a bit like ours. He still has his scars. We have the Spirit inside of us who is helping us to become more like Jesus and to reflect more of Jesus into the world that he loves. He wants us to remind a broken and hurting world what their true, true, selves, true selves should look like in the image of God, a community that lives in love for and with each other so that they can bless the world. And that is incarnation, God taking on human flesh, And that is what glory looks like.